0: So we're going to be in our teaching for this week in 2 Kings. If you would turn there, we'll get to it quickly. We're going to be in uh, 2 Kings. We're going to pick it up in chapter 6 of 2 Kings. We will be specifically starting at verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. The title is, Kindness in the Time of Blindness. And so very often, the titles are simply used in the teachings that I do to capture what we would call in song a chorus, something that allows us to have an emphasis within the context of verses that we study. And this is one of those things I believe that has been transcribed since we've entered into this. The double portion that Elisha received from God via the granting of it by Elijah taken up by a fiery chariot is what he has been living his life out doing by those who have been in great need. He's taken on the consequence of sin, in other words, living life is consequential even though on the eternal part of it, we anticipate great blessings and we also, if we're properly inventorying our life, we're able to say God is faithful, God is good, God is kind. Wherever you're at, those things ultimately belong to God. And we get to see a picture of God's heart through Elisha. He's healed a notably favored man who was not a Jew, but one who came to have a need addressed in his life. And he did not come necessarily willingly, but stubbornly. And he, at the same time, was rather negative about What was required of him, which was to take a bath in the Jordan. Today, we have a bath. It's actually since we bought that back in 2018 called the Jordan. It was brought out from the back. It was filled up last night and it was heated. It's a warm body of water. It was a bath that Nathan needed to take or Naaman needed to take. And that's important because it's a picture of our sins being washed away. We don't do it seven times. We just would appreciate that any individual that needs to do that, wants to do that, is willing to take the seven or 17 steps to get there and to be immersed in the waters of baptism. But leprosy, as we were talking about before, Is a picture of sin. It was upon this man, and yet we also know that it is within man. It's something below the dermal layer of everyone. And that is what sin, in fact, is. We're born in sin, we were conceived in sin. And God has had to do a remarkable work investing Himself in us in order to save us from the consequence of sin which is death. We moved from that wonderful story of healing because this man was healed, and we went into an area which, at the same time, has its own peculiarities. Gehazi was one that we looked at in the previous week. And the reason that he was important is he was a servant in ministry with Elisha. And the servanthood that he exercised it seems at least up to this point, was both contributing and very effective until what had happened in his life is that he became enamored by reward and took it upon himself to gather that at the cost of leaving his master for it. What Naaman was healed from then became the predicament and curse that Gehazi would receive in his flesh. So he was taken off the pages of effectiveness that's consequential. And then last week we had an episode in which Elisha continues to move forward and he is doing what basically you saw today is managing a school of young prophets. Those individuals who are anointed by God as we are to be edifying one another, to be exhorting one another, to be encouraging or comforting to one another, all of those you have done in some manner or another, God uses that because he touches the lives of other individuals that haven't experienced that in truth and in grace. And when it's done in truth, in grace, in balance of all of the attributes of God, it is effective for turning the hearts of people. People who have been hurt, people who have sensed rejection, people who have fled in fear when they meet someone such as you that moves in the spirit and those dynamics which are a part of the prophetic giftings of God, a primary gift, it's awesome what can be done. And you never know who you will meet and the timing that God has made precise to changing their mind about their life, about the goodness of God. It's wonderful to see, and there's fruit that's born. So advancing from that, this text puts Elisha in an actual if you would predicament with two warring peoples but what you will see in him is confidence and you'll also see kindness which is where in this is drawn the title for today and i think very appropriately kindness in the time of blindness here we go picking it up in verse six now the king of syria enemy nation was making war against Israel. Again, kingdoms split. Israel represents the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. Judah has for them the capital, which is Jerusalem. The other ones are in Samaria. They also have a kingdom. We don't know historically how vast it was. It certainly could not have equaled Jerusalem. But this is, nevertheless, who Elisha, as a prophet, is serving. He's in that quarter. There are other prophets, lesser known right now, that are available in the southern kingdom. So there's a consultation. It says with his servant, saying, "My camp will be in such and such a place." Verse nine, and the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. It appears just from this that one has been cued on a predicament that the king of Israel somehow is having manifested. We'll find out how that is happening But it definitely is going to include, as it is right now suggesting, Elisha. He reads the situation well. He's not confused. He doesn't buy into lies. He sees into the heart. He makes movement that represents God, that people of God will make a move and experience victory by obeying that the enemies of God will experience loss because they've come against God. There is warfare, we're involved in it. As this advances, then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So they've been clued in that Elisha has had an opinion over the circumstance and situation of warfare brewing and an attack imminent, he dispatches that is the king of Israel, a spy to see what is going on and how could it be going on? What is it that I can learn to give a strategy for the king that I serve? And therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing and he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? This one believes that there is a betrayal. And so one of the servants said, none, my lord. O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. This is connection with God. It's supernatural information that he receives from the Lord. And we also need to know that we receive supernatural information from the Lord through the scriptures that we are studying. When you hear the recitation of scripture from these young students, in whatever manner they are able to utter the word of God, they are hearing the language of heaven. They are hearing the voice of God. They are presenting something that as truth will be used by God for the ears of someone or many that will hear those verses, either today in their homes, whom they ultimately will link up with, perhaps in school. Somewhere along the way, the word of the Lord will be heard and they will be messengers of that. Elisha hears God's voice. We, as the church, are to hear God's voice and declare it with conviction and with kindness. Met somebody outdoors last night. As you recognize coming into the parking lot, we're marked now. Everybody knows what's going on now in this room. For a while when our banner, which had primarily become 99% duct tape, black and white, and the repristination of the marquees was happening, we knew we had to take it down. And the reason that we didn't put it back up is I had no necessarily confidence that we would be remaining here. We were still in bargaining. Got a call last night And the call was, let's get the name up. We've got something happening tomorrow. And I said, that is the voice of the Lord. Yes, it was my wife. (laughs) Men, the Lord will speak through your wives. You must make a decision as to whether you choose to dwell with her longer And so at any rate, I knew that for me, it wasn't necessarily my calling, but I definitely could be an inspiring voice. So I elbowed Rick Nelson because he climbs up ladders. He evaluated the (laughs) circumstance and we both shook our heads. How can this be done? So he came into the parking lot and every person that needed to be involved in that that we hadn't presumed would be made available was here. We had the young prophets here, Zephaniah and Josiah. John, also known as Griffin, he goes stealthily by the name of Griffin. And we had Samuel, and they were on ladders, and they had drills. As I was praying for them not to fall, the Lord was holding that metal banner up and aligning it, they listened to perspective on where it should go. The supplies were bought and brought by Rick. And we were two senior counselors. And there was obedience and fruitfulness. So I broke simply to share that with regard to our activities and our confidence It's how the Lord cues us and clues us. And when we take that and we make an assessment, then we can go on it. We had vital success in the five day club because people were taking cues and clues and they were on the mark. We were confident that something would be done but it turned out to be greater than what I think I certainly could have imagined because it wasn't simply mechanics. It was ministerial, spiritual endowment and kindness and love that was flowing genuinely, inarguably. So when we look at this text of scripture, you need to see the predicament that was defeated by someone's determination to show kindness and love to one who didn't deserve it, to a people group that in fact were arch enemies of Israel and yet kindness of God would prevail for a dramatic work. Both it represents salvation, they were delivered, And perhaps an alliance in some manner that never existed before. That being said, a man was getting out of his car and he then came back and looked up. He said, that's looking good. Thank you. It is good. This is the house of the Lord and he's good. Yeah. Do you want to come to breakfast We have a breakfast every Friday. You look like you're a strong guy. You'll be fortified if you eat our breakfast. We teach the word, ah, I got a lot of that growing up, kind of forced on me. I'm not forcing you, I'm inviting you. You would love it. Ah. Thanks for the invite, but I'm doing fine. Do you live here? I do. Do you work here? I do. What do you do? He shared with me what he does. He's a chef somewhere. Well, that takes a lot of talent and gift to do that to serve people. Yeah, do you like it? I do. Do you think you're gonna do it forever? I don't know. You grew up in the area? I did. Are you seeing anything in terms of the time you graduated to where you are now? You know, just trying to make a buck and trying to enjoy life as I can. I understand that. You're invited to come to church tomorrow. I've been to church, but you haven't been to this one. But I have been forced to church. He shared with me what church and I can understand why for him there was nothing of fruit coming to him because they didn't study the word. It was simply an organized place of individuals that gathered around false doctrine and so I knew that for him his heart had been stolen. But he got the invitation. Kindness was the determined event. To do what? That his eyes might be opened. That there would be remedy to his blindness. That's all I could do. Another guy cruises around his bicycle. And he yells as he's doing that. You better watch out. That's a Calvary Chapel. dove. you are hanging up there. You need to be one. I am one. No, you're not. Yes, I am. (laughs) That was our banter with this guy. He was assaulting what it was we were putting salt on, a building. And I found it to be one resenting or not able to take advantage of the invitation, and another guy who just wanted to insult me. And so, as he rode his bike and got further, further down, we were just kind of yelling back, Yes, we are. Come and see what the Lord would say to you. He had his bicycle, and I had guys on ladders. God accomplishing a work through even the kindness of these guys who late in their evening were working. What do you do when people exercise kindness? I try to show them great gratitude. But in this case, I think it was exclamated by two pizzas that we bought them exactly what they wanted and how they wanted it and delivered to their bellies for their hard work. Let's move on, though, and see how this ultimately satisfies this picture that you're getting. People that are in conspiracy, either against the church or confused about the work of the church or not caring about God because God was misrepresented to them. And what is it that God wants us to know with regard to people like that, and even people among us today, that are radically being touched by the kindness of God in a circumstance that is unbearable? He bears them up. He takes what would have been the condemnation And he gives sweet conviction. God is so good. He's so faithful. He's so right. He is so determined that good is intended for me. And this is what Elisha was all about. So confident that good was intended by God to even those who would reject him and even be to him an enemy. And so in this text, Elisha will now be better defined. And so he said, go and see where he is, and I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. So they're wanting to get him. In the same manner as well, that Naaman wanted audience with him. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city. So that's kind of what happened to me on Tuesday. I was surrounded by the city of the fire department. They were coming to get me because we were violating a law. That's true. No fires on the beach. We started a fire on the beach. We're probably going to have something happen now because we're starting a fire here. It's the spirit of God but when people come to get you it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to come against them you can represent god honorably and you can see how your kindness affects them eternally or even in this temporal plane of where they're at i can only tell you that had i cursed them gone kicking and screaming made a big drama out of the situation it would have been far less effective than simply coming listening, stand here, present your identification, I'm going to cite you, then to be able to wait it out patiently, talk things through those who wanted to engage and listen, only to have that particular man with greater authority in that civil area than I had, though I had greater authority in spirituality than he had, and to hear him say you know, this is only gonna be a warning. You've been kind. It's only a warning. And I said, great, that's awesome. Keep up the good work and I'll be more attentive to the signage. I really didn't know though. And then our group broke up and you know, as I said before to at least several teachings, their fire hose came out. and Well, we had better hoses here. <laughs> What they did on the beach, that's nothing. What we were doing here with the squirt guns on our dramatic actors, that was worthy. And so when it says here, excuse me, I'm going to move into this. Therefore he sent horses and chariots, great armies there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding The city with horses and chariots and his servants said to them, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Do you have a question in your life? This is a good phrase to remember. Alas, Master, what shall I do? What shall we do? When you heard somewhat that description from one of the disciples in the boat, Master, Master, we're sinking. Don't you care? The master does care. He does care about floating your boat. He does care when there are times that have sunk you emotionally, physically, economically. He does care all the time, but it's always about his perfect time. Patience is always worked in to the accomplishment of God because behind the scenes, as you saw, The accomplishment of these guys in the boat were because of those who were behind the scenes and the narration and script had been written. You've got to be willing to play it out. You've got to be willing to see when those lights come on what God has been doing that you were blinded by. He is going to reveal it. It is an awesome testimony. And so with the surrounding, alas, my master, what shall we do? So when you say that, let God handle it. Let him handle it. He's the first responder. We give a lot of credit to those in vocation who are. He's the very first responder. He's got it all planned out. And so Elisha noticed this prayed. Are you praying about This particular phrase, alas, master, what shall we do? Elisha prays and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. He did not say, kill those guys who are threatening our lives. The servant was aware that they basically were surrounded and weapons bared and ultimately captivity implied, if not death. Elisha is not concerned about the threat of an enemy, nor does he fear them. And what he wants to do is to call attention to what his servant cannot see. And he does so not by criticizing what he cannot see, but emphasizing what he knows and the revelation that he is willing to call upon God that the eyes might be opened. That's what prayer is all about. When you choose to pray with someone, you are literally endeavoring to connect them with God in which their eyes can be opened and they can have a hope that you have. You have a hope that's preceding their hope. They have a hope that will follow your hope. If it's anchored in prayer, their hope will follow your hope that precedes them in the predicament. And that's all Elisha says. I want this guy to see what I see continually because the Lord is continually before me. And it makes a difference when people evaluate your peace through the kindness that you render in a time of the crises that they wish they were not in. How do you handle yourself? How do you handle yourself? And Elisha prayed the eyes of this man would be opened because it says, then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. It's a young man. Sometimes young men doesn't have the experience of knowing the faithfulness of God. And so they obtain it through your confidence. But again, prayer is what is being voiced here. Oh Lord, May you open all of our eyes. But in this case, Lord, would you open the eyes of one and do so that they might grow in their faith and live confidently in your plan of saving in a desperate time. And so behind the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He'd seen one before that took Elijah up That would have been a chauffeured ride into heaven. He sees now it wasn't simply one. This is an army innumerable. The same vision he had when Elijah was taken up is now what he experienced beyond counting the entire mountainside. He has enough evidence to define what it is, but he knows even more importantly, it's God who's allowing his servant to see this. Pretty amazing. Amazing. Elisha never doubted it. It's now coming to pass, and probably it may be even amazing him, just how many he's always believed have surrounded him. And so when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. There's a reason for this. The eyes of his servant were to be opened to the power of God The eyes of the enemy were to be blinded for the passivity that they needed to yield to follow a man of God. They needed to be shut that they would not be able to get out of their situation except by being led through their situation. So blindness also has a purpose. If in fact it provokes a man to be humbled and to yield to be led Paul, one of the greatest of apostles, who thought not so highly of himself, was blinded by the radiance of God that he might learn to submit to the directives of those who had been subordinated long before he started in that moment to follow God with zeal. He had to learn to follow those who by spiritual experience were more qualified to lead him, There was too much in Paul that was confident in his strength. He had just come from a powerful position of being able literally as a lawman to put people in prison. He could put out fires and he could take people into captivity. And God was saying, it will be done, but you're going to be igniting fires, not putting them out. And You'll do it my way. And you're going to be led my way. And you'll be learning how to listen to me because I'm going to give you visions and I'm going to give you doctrine and you'll have to know how to stand in my strength when you're challenged and when in fact you will be pursued for execution because you're violating everything that up to now you have believed in and that people have believed you for. That group you've belonged to, they are not whom you are to follow. And so they're struck with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Notice this, Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city, follow me. Jesus would say that to you, any here, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Some of you take up your boat and follow me. Take up whatever it is that the Lord has asked of you, that in following, it will be fruitful for you. I had to lay down my guitar, only that in a period of time, the Lord said, take up your guitar and follow me. And so I did, 10,000 miles one summer, playing any place that would receive me, getting mocked at some places that didn't want me. But I took up my guitar, followed the Lord, wrote prolifically songs. And though I make nothing much of myself, I make much of the generation that follows, because they're doing it too. Your worship leaders here. I can still hold the candle to them, but how wonderful it is to see my wick burn slowly down and to see a brighter light. This is awesome. This blindness is that they might exercise obedience and go the way of the Lord. And so he's going to bring them to Samaria. What's Samaria? Samaria's, that's his pastoral place. When I talk to people, I'm inviting them to our Samaria. I'm inviting them to a spiritual place. Elisha is a part of the Samaritan kingdom. That's where the upper kingdom is about. And Elisha is saying, this is where I'm taking you guys. He led them there. And so it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see and the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. They would have never come there but to attack it. They now were simply submitted to it. Their eyes now are open and it's like, uh oh. What would be the uh oh? Because in Samaria, they were brought basically before an army that vulnerably now had them in their sights. And now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? That's very often what we think is the solution. Get rid of those guys that are not a part of what we do. It's a dilemma because their behavior is at times so arrogant, so rude, so nasty, so threatening. It honestly is something you go, I wish they weren't even alive right now. But God would say, I'm not into per se killing them in judgment. I'm into killing them with kindness. That's what I want. It's a phrase we use, right? You've heard it when joking is going on. You're killing me. Well, there's nothing really about killing that we would say is a delight. But the Lord can take that vernacular and He can say, dead to what once was your laughter, your amusement, alive to what this spirit is doing. I'm not going to have them killed. That's not my motivation. We're going to do something different. And so in this, this king is questioning what he's to do. An army is being delivered to him. It's not necessarily off of the logic chart. But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and bow? Meaning that's not really, unless it was by God's complete directive to do so, he wouldn't exercise that. Now they've come passively and blindly. And Elisha's just saying, would you do it in battle? Then why would you do it now? set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. And so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. This was a band of them. There was still an army back then, but these were the marauders. These are the ones that probably had lesser conviction and they're treated now with kindness that they didn't deserve. A banqueting table had been prepared. That was the example that Elisha set for the king who was wavering whether they should be executed. He said, "Not at all. Feed them." What did it do? Well, the feeding and the refreshment from water convinced them that Elisha and Israel were truly not their enemies. They're not This group is not going to participate again. Against the work of God. Which is why, when we exercise kindness both within the body and outside those who are not a part of the body, God does a protective work on what once was their marauding tendencies. And people's lives change because what we are able to say is, though we feed you with food, it is God who's making this provision to you because He loves you. You're not being executed. By rejecting him, you're being killed by his kindness to receive him. The thing that is making you laugh within either scoffing God or presuming that this has to be some joke is you are being kindly dealt with when the severity of his judgment could be upon you. His son took that. Romans 5, 5 indicates, and you can take it down for a note, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. When people are touched by the love of God that's shed abroad by our hearts, it narrows their way. I was being poetic when I said, it deserves Broadway, but God's going to keep it on the narrow way Because Broadway requires a compromise, The narrow way requires great liberty, but power to keep the main point, the main thing, and about the main person, Jesus. But I love that verse as well, Romans 2, 4. God's kindness leads men to repentance. A word in similitude is goodness. His goodness, it provokes men to want to repent from what they've done, what they're doing. I appreciate kindness because I have received goodness from men, but not necessarily in kindness. Some man can give me a $100 bill and spit at me, and I'd look at that $100 bill, I'd say, good. And I can mm, take that from you because that's not bad. But when kindness from God is delivered by us, then ultimately it always leads to good. I just appreciate the word kindness because goodness has a dubious definition, in my opinion, as we would interpret it. Kindness, though, always comes with the linkage, the marriage to goodness, how good God has been to me and his kindness towards me. I don't want to continue in the way that I have continued. I don't want that. And so in the wrap up, and thank you for your patience, because that's one of the things we look at too. If the love of God is the chief attribute of him, for God is love and love is of God, then where does kindness play in? And why is it so important when love seems to be the chief one? It's because God is already at work and has been at work delivering his love through his Son, made evident by his Spirit, proclaimed in the Word, taught by us as prophets, those who can encourage, those who can correct, those who can comfort. That's what we do. And if you follow the script in Galatians, the attributes that follow the demonstration of God's love, which is love, Joy, peace, patience, it leads to his kindness. Because God's at work in all of those areas. If he loves us, he will confirm it with a joy that people know something is making me happy in this moment. Something is supernaturally different than what I've been trying to achieve naturally Peace. The storm in my life has quieted. What's causing that? And the only answer that the Spirit will reveal is Jesus. He hears you. You may not know what to say to him, but he knows what to say in your circumstance. Peace. Why are things not changing just yet because God's working patience into his maturing? the person who wants to change but doesn't know yet how to change. Goodness, which we reciprocate with the word kindness. Kindness is the emphatic. It's what changes a person because they know they don't deserve it. And it touches them to where that little tear duct in the corner of each eye is set to open up like a floodgate, to be captured by the lower eyelid that serves as a reservoir that pools up. And under the pressure and ultimately the little muscle, it's squeezed out in a moment of kindness because all the other attributes have been undeniably felt But in that moment of kindness, the tear flows and change happens and decisions are made because God's love in that interaction has become valid. It's pretty awesome. We saw that in our time with the Five Week Club. I believe I see it every single week.